Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing, but where the hell do I start? Well, folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now live. Welcome to the Whitfield Report. I am your host, Sam Whitfield, broadcasting live from NGC Studios here in Southern Florida. And as always, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Social media contact info as usual. You can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at somebody underscore NGC, hashtag Whitfield Report, hashtag uh, Sam's Savages 2. You can follow me on Gab, simply at Sam Whitfield, and you can uh, go like the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report, and of course, just by going to my website at thesamwhitfield.com, you can find the links to all that stuff and more there. Wouldn't it be interesting, though, if uh, I opened up this show and said that I wasn't happy to have you? What if I did just the exact opposite and, uh, you know, flipped you guys the bird and told everyone off? No one, no one really, no one really would, would expect that. That, that's a, you know, it's, it's funny the way, uh, podcasts and radio shows go. When hosts say they're happy to have you listening. Well, obviously we are because, I mean, we've built a whole, you know, we've built a whole show around attracting listeners slash viewers. So, mm, 
I and I don't even know why I brought that up. It just kind of seemed like a, uh, you know, it just seemed like a observation to make about podcasting, just in uh, general. Uh, also, you can join our live YouTube chat uh, if you're on the YouTube uh, channel then obviously you can log in with your YouTube account and join the live chat. So far we have uh, Gabe and Jeff in the chat. Uh, it says there's only one viewer uh, right now, but I don't think that's right. Because sometimes, uh, you know, more than one person will comment and it'll say that there's, you know, only one viewer on the thing. But, uh... Anywho, how are you doing tonight, ladies and gentlemen? So, uh, tonight's show is a uh, topic that I've been meaning to get into for a while now. I've discussed this a few times in the past on my previous show, the, the Whitfield Analysis. I think it's been five years since I've discussed this topic. But uh, I figure it's time for a refresh. Uh, Tonight's topic is why millennials are so liberal in general. Or more specifically, why I think millennials are more liberal and why, you know, there are conservative millennials. But why we're seen as more a uh, minority uh, in the political view. And uh, I decided to do this uh, topic for this week because I uh, called into the, into the Nick DePaulo show. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Nick DePaulo is a very uh, well-known uh, stand-up comedian who is... Uh, I wouldn't even really say he's full-blown conservative. I would say he's more of conservative-slash-libertarian like I am. Uh, but, you know, the media and the left, they like to portray him as being an, being, as being like an alt-right, you know, stand-up comedian, um, and, uh, you know, anyone who is basically semi-conservative is considered alt-right by the left, but, uh, anyway, Nick, uh, so Nick actually just launched his new podcast uh, this week on Monday, and uh, after getting kicked off of serious uh, satellite radio because he said something politically incorrect, so he launched a new podcast on Patreon uh, this we- this past week, and it's pretty good. Uh, there are two free episodes per week, though, and... Um, I called in on his show on Wednesday because he was talking about a story of uh, liberal bias on college campuses and how the left has just absolutely infected college campuses, um, you know, for the past 40 years. And so I wanted to call in to talk about liberal bias on college campuses from my uh, perspective. Uh, when, when are, Gabe asked, when are you and Nick getting, getting married? Um, 
Ah, uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm already I'm already taken. Uh, I you know, I'm I'm saving myself for when uh for when producer uh Canabara comes back. That's uh that's how it goes, Gabe. But uh anyway, yeah, little in little inside joke between the uh, savages and I, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, anyway, I called into Nick's show to discuss uh, bias on college campuses, and, and I think it was a pretty good chat. So uh, here's the clip from the Nick DePaulo show episode three when I called in earlier this week. Cut number one, go. Uh, let's go to uh, Sam in Florida. Sam, uh, college, college students want to discuss life on liberal campus. What's up? Hey, Nick. Uh, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you doing, Sam? What's it like? Are you a college-age guy? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of yours. And uh, I, first of all, I wanted to let you know that not all of the millennials are uh, brainwashed, you know, liberal uh, retards. A lot of us are sick of this uh, political correctness. No, I, I, hold on, hold on, on hold on, hold on, hold on. Campus. No, you're right, you're right. I, I never said all, oh, but uh, but but when I read polls, and I've read them many times, where almost forty percent of millennials um, have a problem with the First Amendment and free speech, and are in favor of curbing it. It's too many. That's too many. Way too many. <laughs> but one one thing uh, before I continue playing this clip. Uh, I I should have asked him, and I I didn't. I should have asked him where he uh, got the forty percent number from, because uh, I I don't think that's. I mean, I'm sure it's true in some of the polls, but I mean, it, it, a lot of these polls it really depends on what you read. And so the the one thing I should have asked him, and I didn't, was where he uh, you know saw that number. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to why that's important later on in the show. But, uh, continuing on. But you're right. Not all millennials oh. uh, are PC pussies. I agree with that. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I, I, I hear you. It, you know, it, it, it kind of makes me depressed because I feel like, you know, I'm in the minority and I'm alone. But, uh, you know, it gets, it gets ridiculous because I had to, uh, take a college English course a few years ago, and uh, they made me write a paper on the effects of global warming. Now, keep in mind, this was for an English class, not for, like, <laughs> um, class or anything like that. Right. It's, uh, it's also hard as hell to start a uh, college Republicans uh, you know, organization on campus, too, just because of the, of the uh, bureaucracy right. of the uh, administration. Right. So... So, but, uh, you, you know, you, your point being that uh, there's you're saying there's a good number of you uh, millennials on campus who don't buy into this PC horseshit. But don't you think on the average college yeah. campus, you're outnumbered? Safe to say. Yeah, it's the it's yeah. I, I mean, I know, but yeah, I'm who, you know, I'm willing to speak out about my conservative opinions because I, you know, I really don't. But uh, there are a lot more uh, millennials out there who are more conservative libertarianish who, you know, don't want to say anything because 
they think that their grades will get dinged or whatever. So, well, how can yeah, which is also possibly true. Okay, but so. but okay, can I just say? And I understand that, but 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 if you don't say anything because you're afraid your grades, are, you're being intimidated into fucking silence. So fight back, w- w- whether it's keying keying the professor's car or something. Do something. You can't just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you have to you have to yeah. make it known your professors yeah. are fucking with you. Otherwise, this is going to go on. This is how we got to this point. Threaten the fucking uh, the or, ch- uh, chancellor's cat. Do something. Or, you know, uh, invite Paul to uh, do a comedy, uh, you know, stand-up night on your campus. That would be another way to uh, intimidate them, too. Yeah. To fight back against the left, I should say. I'll, I'll, but, I'll, uh, I'll do it. What's the college? You know, uh, State College of Florida. It's a community campus. But, uh, you know, I, I know it's tough. Not even Jerry Seinfeld wants to uh <laughs> that's why I, that's why i call i said this about millennials and again not all years but most years i say congratulations millennials you're the you're the first generation that finds seinfeld too fucking edgy you pussies i mean hey who uses cotton balls uh, i don't know but cotton's picked by yeah. black people jerry you better be careful <laughs> all right sam i gotta go uh, yeah, your, I, your, your phone's coming yeah, in and out but uh keep your chin up out there and if your professor gives you any guff kick her in the sandals for me all righty Uh, yeah, that was my uh, big debut on the Nick DiPaolo show, and that's what kind of prompted uh, tonight's show topic. Why are millennials seen as being uh, so liberal when uh, clearly uh, not all millennials are liberal? Well, First off, we have to actually define what a millennial is because I find that the definition of a of a millennial tends to uh, differ from source to source. Now, I, f- I found a pretty good definition from the uh, Pew Research Center, and I, I want to uh, pull this up. So let's see if this will... Uh, if this will work, I know that my uh, screen was kind of doing, the software was kind of uh, acting funny when I wanted to uh, project the screen. So let's, let's see if this works. Um, let's see. Also, uh, to... Uh, to Jeff, uh, I I'm I'm sorry, Jeff, but I I am I am stealing material. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm not stealing material. I'm I'm stealing uh I'm stealing listeners and audience members from uh you know who. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm doing. I'm not stealing material. So, but uh anyway. Alright, um, oh, okay. There we go, it's working again. So, uh, this new, uh, this article from the Pew Research, uh, Center is, uh, very helpful. And for those of you who just, uh, who are just 
tuning in. Uh, we're discussing why millennials are so liberal, and uh, as I've ex- as I explained, uh, first we need to uh, define what millennial is. So there was this article that came out in March of this year, actually, uh, headline from Pew Research Center, defining generations where millennials end and post-millennials begin. Uh, For decades, Pew Research Center has been committed to measuring public attitudes on key issues and documenting differences in those attitudes across demographic groups. One lens often improved, one lens often employed by researchers at the center to understand these differences is that of generation. Uh, let's see. Real quick. Can I put this in to reader mode? Yes, I can. Uh, generations provide the opportunity to look at Americans both by their place in the life cycle, whether a young adult, a middle-aged parent, or a retiree, and by their, and by their membership in a cohort of individuals who were born at a similar time. As we've examined it in past work, generational cohorts give researchers a tool to analyze changes in views over time. They can provide a way to understand how different formative experiences, such as world events and technological, economic, and social shifts, interact with the life cycle and an aging process to shape people's views of the world. While while younger and older adults may differ in their views at any given moment, generational cohorts allow researchers to examine how today's older adults felt about a given issue when they themselves were young, as well as to describe how the trajectory of views might differ across generations. Okay, so that's just all, uh, you know, intro. Pew Research Center has been studying the millennial generation for more, for more than a decade. But as we enter 2018, it's become clear to us that it's time to determine a cutoff point between millennials and the next generation. Turning 37 this year, the oldest millennials are well into adulthood, and they and they first entered adulthood before today's youngest adults were, bo- were born. Okay, so right there from the Pew Research Center, we do have a clear, uh, you know, we have a clear number. Uh, in order to keep the millennial generation antithetically me- analytically meaningful and to begin looking at what might be the next, what might be unique about the next cohort, Pew Research Center will use 1996 as the last birth year for millennials for our future w- work. Anyone born between 1981 and 1996 ages 22 to 37 in 2018, 
will be considered a millennial. And anyone born from 1997 onward will be part of a new generation. Now, folks, uh, the, the reason why I wanted to look this up is I've heard uh, various things. Uh, you know, I've heard... I've heard that millennials, that they count to anyone, you know, born from 1990 to 1999, you know, which is, which is only 10 years, um, you know, which doesn't seem that big. Um, but then I've heard, you know, people going back to 1979, 1980 as the defining, uh, you know, start date for the millennial, for the millennial generation, but... I think 81 to 96 is actually a pretty, uh, you know, good, it's, it's, it's actually, I think, a fair, uh, cross day, right? And, uh, you know, baby boomers, my god, the, the baby boomers had like a, had like a, you know, they had like a large generation gap from like, you know, 1945 to 1979 or something like that. Um, so, you know, generations are interesting things to find. But, uh, anyway, getting back to the article. <clears throat> Since the oldest among this generation this rising generation, are just turning 21 this year, and most are still in their teens, we think it's still too early to give them a name. Though the New York Times asked readers to, to take a stab, and we look forward to watching, watching as conversations among researchers, the media, and the public help a name for this generation take shape. In the meantime, we will simply call them post-millennials until a common nomenclature occurs. Oh, yeah, that's, uh... You know, that's super creative. Um, gen generational cutoff points aren't an, ex aren't an exact science. Yeah, no shit, I just went over that. They should be viewed primarily as tools allowing for the kinds of analysis detailed above but their boundaries are not arbitrary. Generations are often considered by their spans, but again, there is no agreed-upon formula for how long that span should be. At 16 years, 1981 to 1996, our working definition of millennials will be equivalent in age span to their preceding generation. Generation X, born between 1965 in 1980. By this definition, both are shorter than this, than the lifespan of the baby boomers. 19 years. The only generation officially designated by the U U.S. Censorship, by the U.S. Census Bureau, based on the famous surge in post-World War II births, and a significant decline in birth rates after 1964. Ah. Uh, no, I don't. No, it's not, I don't think you're. I don't think you're baby boomers. The Pew Research Center. Center does. 
Uh, yeah, let's, let's, I, I'm just, I'm just going through the comments. Uh, let's see, okay. Uh, okay. Unlike the boomers, there's comparatively no definitive thresholds by which later generational boundaries are defined. But for analytical purposes, we believe 1996 is a meaningful cutoff between millennials and post-millennials for a number of reasons, including key political, economic, and social factors that define the millennial generation's formative year years. Mm. Uh, let's see. Most most millennials were born between the age of 5 and 21 when the 9-11 terrorist attacks shook the nation. And many were old enough to comprehend the historical significance of that of that moment. Well, most post-millennials have little or no memory of that event. Okay, that is fair. Uh, millennials also grew up in the shadow of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, which sharpened broader views of the parties and contributed to the intense political polarization that shapes the current political environments. Yeah, well, we all know that that's, that that's, you know, only partially true. Let's see. And most millennials were between 12 and 27 during the 2008 election, where the force for the youth vote became part of the political conversation and helped elect the first black president. Oh, which, uh, you know... I, I I was not part of I was not part of that uh co of that specific coalition by the way no I I, I was part of the I was part of the re, re, of the rebellion once the uh you know once the that whole Obama oh eight thing you know became, came into full swing let's see um yeah I yeah I'm calling I'm calling BS on on that too Mike. But uh, you know, this is pure. Re this is pure research. They're pretty liberal, but when it comes to, you know, purely demographic, uh, you know, information, there's there's not many good sources on it. Wik Wikipedia, you know, which anyone can edit, is shady. Is shady as fuck, uh, as the the kids. Let's see. Millennials are children who never grew up, and I'm a millennial. Uh, yeah. Well, well, so is. Well, I, I, I agree with, I agree with you. Like, look, you know, by this definition too, John Near, I think John Neary is is a millennial too. Um. I think, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, he who shall not be named, I don't know, I don't know if he's a millennial, but he, but he acts more of like a post-millennial, so, um, yeah. Oh, I, I, I was, oh yeah, I, I was, 
I was hip to to Obama back in uh, you know oh at at, uh, at age fourteen. Uh, so, oh yeah, so Ludwig, you you and I are a lot closer in age than I than I initially thought then. But uh, anyway, let's see. Um, okay. Okay, added to that is the fact that millennials are the most racially and ethnically diverse group, diverse adult generation in the nation's history. Yet the next generation, those currently 21 or younger, are even more diverse. Well, I mean, yeah, but that's, you know... The Pew Research Center is defining that by American, you know, standards, which I guess is what we are going off on, technically, but that is kind of a, that is kind of a cop-out, though, because obviously, you know, generations tend to, you know, race mix over time. Like, I, I remember uh, back when... Well, I don't remember, but I remember I remember my grandfather telling me that, you know, back uh, back when he was growing up in the in the twenties and you know thirties, uh, you know, even even different European uh, nationalities, there were stigmas out, you know, Italians dating uh, Irish guys and Irish and vice versa and you know so in terms of in terms of ethnic diversity there's always been ethnic diversity so that is kind of a weird thing but uh yeah beyond politics most millennials came a, of age and entered the work force facing the height of an economic recession as is well documented, many millennials' life life choices, future earnings, and entrance to adulthood may have been shaped by this recession in a way that may not be the case for the younger Connor counterparts. The long-term effects of this slow start for millennials will be a factor in American society for decades. Yeah, there's that, but there's also the fact that, you know... A lot of like the uh, a lot of the protest, um, you know, millennials, they don't want to get a job either. Um, technology, in particular, in particular, the rapid evolution of how people communicate and interact is another generation shaping consideration. Now, this is true too. Uh, Uh, okay, Ludwig is saying it's 1984, the cutoff date, and this article is from the few researchers saying it's 1981. Uh, so, which is it? Uh, yeah, see, that's, that's, Liz is right. I, I did say it was 1981. This is this is why this whole millennial generation thing is so hard to point 
to pinpoint. Um, you'll find one article that says it's 1984, and then one that says it's 1981. Okay, Ludwig says, we were brought up in, in the best media, public education, and pop culture propaganda that, that money can buy. Um, of course my generation is intellectually stunted. I... I will talk about that in a, about that in a sec. Uh, I'm glad you, you brought that up. And I'm going to see how much lo longer this goes. Holy crap, this goes on for a while. Um, okay. Um... Okay. Uh, let's see. Going back to where I was. Technology in particular, the rapid evolution of how people communicate and interact is another generation saving consideration. Baby boomers, but... Uh, in this progression, what is unique for post-millennials is that all of the above have been part of their lives from the start. In terms of technology, uh, the iPhone launched in 2007 when the oldest post-millennials were 10. By that time, they were in their teens. <sighs> okay, uh... Okay. Now there's some stuff about, um... Politics and whatnot. Okay. Okay, so, uh, you know, I think we're, uh, you know, I, I just wanted to pull up that article mainly to, uh, you know, find out what the, uh, parameters of the, of the mono donation. But what I want to get to, uh, mm -hmm more specifically in regards to why uh, millennials are so liberal is for a reason that um, that Ludwig uh, pointed out that there are a few things um, that Ludwig pointed out in the com comments um, Ludwig made a comment where he said uh, a few minutes ago, we were brought up in the best media, public education, and pop culture propaganda money can buy. Of course, my generation is intellectually stunted. And this brings me back to, ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Breitbart, when he discussed something called the Frankfurt School. Now, the Frankfurt School was basically a bunch of uh, communists after uh, post-World War II who uh, basically immigrated here to the United States and they knew that unlike uh, countries like uh, Russia or Eastern Europe, they, they, 
in the rest of Eastern Europe, they knew that communism could not be, uh, you know, installed here by means of uh, a pure hostile takeover. They knew that that wasn't going to work. So what they did, quite ingeniously, is they started to slowly but surely uh, influence, get into the universities, get into uh, the media, and, uh, you know, get, a lot of them got into Hollywood. And by virtue of the fact that they were now in control of the uh, popular culture and educational centers, they were able to basically craft a narrative of being pro-American as being racist, uh, you know, individuality, well, that's hurtful towards those who have less. Basically, they, they took communism and watered, they took the ideological part of communism, watered it down, and called it cultural Marxism. Well, that's how we, uh, define it now, but, you know, that they call, they call it social justice. And, uh, you know, which is much different, folks, than uh, civil rights. Do not confuse the two. And that is something that the alt-right, the real alt-right, has tried to conflate. They've tried to conflate civil rights, the fight for uh, equality for African Americans, with this social justice uh, snowflake wave. But, uh, bottom line... Going back to, uh, my phone call from this week with, uh, Nick DiPaolo. Like I said, I'm, I would be, I would be curious to, uh, see where he got the number that 40% of millennials are against the First Amendment. I, I, I really am curious as to where he read that, so maybe I'll, maybe I'll tweet him, um, that. But, uh, anyway... Um, millennials, I would say that millennials are liberal, not because of, uh, the fact that we decided to be liberal. We, we, we were indoctrinated into being liberal by default in terms of, you know, gen generational speaking, not, not all of us, but, but a lot of us were liberal because we grew up you know, with, with teachers who were part of that, uh, baby boomer generation of left-wing thinkers. And, um, you know, or, or even if they weren't liberal themselves or, or left-wing, most of the textbooks, you know, for, for U.S. history and, you know, world events that a lot of Muslims read, you know, K through 12 and in college is written from a, from a far left stance. So, you know, education is a big part of it. Big Hollywood and the media is another big part of why so many of millennials are default liberal. 
And, uh, you know, another big part of that has to do with the coast, the coasts, um, you know, basically New York, Los Angeles, uh, Miami, basically the, the big metropolitan areas demographically are almost all, uh, liberal. Subliminal messaging bypasses the short-term memory, hits right at the psychological level, and shoots directly into the long-term memory. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, Ludwig, you're, you're absolutely right. And that's, that's partially why the, uh, attention spans for millennials are so... That's why the attention span for most millennials, not all of them... But a lot of them are so, you know, bad. Now, that's starting to change a little bit because I think the Joe Rogan podcast and, uh, you know, the podcasts like this one and I hate to say this, but Alex Jones and Steven Crowder, uh, for sure. I think podcasts are really helping millennials and and live streams like this. I, I think it is starting to help us get our long-term focus back. So, you know, I, I definitely do think that things are starting to change for the better. But I do think that, you know, subliminal liberal messaging is a big part of it. Part of it. And and so, you know, for, for older conservatives to say that, you know, the millennial generation has chosen to be liberal is simply not a, uh, you know, that, that's simply a, that's simply a falsehood. Um, yeah, let's see. The, the subliminal messaging started in the 50s, right when they invented televisions. That's what MJF says. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's true to a, to a certain extent. To a certain extent, MJF. But think about this, too. Because I've heard the whole thing about, you know, television and the internet and all that being subliminal messaging. And that is true, to a certain extent. But, when you take, a, when you take away all, when you take away the people who, who run things and who run the programming, what is television? What is a computer? What is the internet? What is social media? It's all a tool. Right? They're, they're all tools. They're all things. You know, and, and so... The thing that I think... I've done successfully, and that many on the right are starting... To figure out... And I'll... I'll get back to this in a sec. But I think we are starting to find out how to... Uh, you know, use these tools toward our advantage to spread our side of the story. So if you want to think about it, maybe I'm, you know, maybe somewhere I'm subliminally messaging, sending subliminal messages to some to someone else out there. Um, the other thing is, and I hate to say this, but 
I've I've talked about this before, and this is this is a big part of I think why so many millennials are liberal die by default too. And many conservatives are not going to like what I'm about to say, but I think it's very very important. The sad truth of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, is not not all. Um, there were a lot of. Um, This, the sad truth of the matter is, is conservatives did not do a good job of reaching out to millennials in general. For the most part, they did a, a pretty crappy job up until now, right? It, it really wasn't until Steven Crowder really hit the hit the scene a few years ago. Same with Ben Shapiro. It really wasn't until younger people like Steven Crowder and Ben Shapiro, people from our own generation started to kind of rise up and become a voice for, you know, conservatism in this new gen generation that we really, you know, the conservatism really had an impact on millennials. Meanwhile, the left was always focused on using kids uh, as a, you know, as a propaganda tool slash uh, demographic for Obama, right? Obama was, Obama was the first candidate to get major youth support because of the left really played upon that youthful, you know, energy that Obama had. They did it quite well. Meanwhile, uh, the, the Republicans, you know, trotted out, you know, old man John McCain, who, you know, I'm not saying anything to, you know, be over, like, cruel to uh, McCain. I'm just saying the perception, you know, back in 2008 was that Obama was the new, fresh, you know, hip, young face of a generation. And, you know, meanwhile, um, you know, the, the the Republican Party was just the party of a old, you know, unelectable white man who, you know, had major issues. And for years and years and years, conservatives, establishment conservatives, I, I should say, did not really care about millennials. They, they still don't. I don't think... And, you know, we saw that, unfortunately, again in 2012. I, I, th I think there was a bit more of a youth put pushback in 2012 on the conservative side. I, I think you were only starting to see it. But again, the, the GOP once again went along with, uh, you know, Mitt Romney, who was, you know... Well, I'm sure he's a good guy personally. He was a milk toast candidate. He was boring. He was uninteresting. He was, you know, he was too polite. He was he was like your, uh, you know, it was like it again. He was another case of he was someone who you know might might you know run if he if he were like your great uncle or your, or your grandfather. You know, he, he had no, he had no 
appeal towards the youth whatsoever. Um, now, there, there, there were two, one big thing that I think help, that's been helping conservatives attract more millennials and more post-millennials, if we want to use this term, is the fact that under Obama, the far left was allowed to go absolutely, um, that crap crazy with their social justice uh, antics to the point where even a lot of millennials are getting sick of this uh, stuff. Most average millennials, right? You see the media, uh, you know, talking more more diversity on college campuses. Uh, you know, we're talking about, they're talking about this generation being more open to transgenderism and whatnot. Well, that's only because the media is, uh, the mainstream media, I should say, is focused on what they want to focus on, right? But there are conservative millennials out there, like myself, who, I mean, I've had to build, uh, this show up in this podcast up on my own. I've really not had any, uh, you know, opportunities for big sponsorship, you know, other than, you know, maybe a few at, a few advertisers at one point, and I, I turned that down for, uh, you know, reasons I won't go into, but, uh, you know, I've, I've done my show, you know, independently for the most part. So as Steven Crowder up until I, uh, you know, did CRTV, so, so did, so did, uh, Ben Shapiro, all, all the big millennial conservative media has basically also been independent media. Um, none of the big news companies, with the except, with the exception of Fox, will really have millennials on, and even, and even then, um, the types of millennials they are having to choose on, uh, i.e. Tommy Laren, isn't, uh, you know, there's been a big backlash against uh, Tommy from other millennial conservatives, and uh, that may be another topic for another time. Okay, uh, let's see. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to be having a guest, uh, here on in just a few minutes. Adam Hill from, uh, Adam Hill, my co-host of the American Watchmen podcast and my co-editor of, uh, American Watchmen, the publication is going to be coming on, uh, to discuss the left's cultural violence in this, uh, second hour, so, uh, I'm just going to text him my Skype ID real quick, and, uh, whatnot, but in, in the meantime, uh, Ludwig, if you're still watching, you don't, you don't have to answer me right now, you can choose to, you know, not answer, or you can message me on Twitter later, but I, I am, I am curious, 
Um, how old? How old are you? Um, so let's see. Uh, I'm just texting out of my my Skype ID right now. So, uh, I wish I had, uh, this, this is another reason I need, uh, commercial breaks. I, I do need, um, you know, something I can kind of insert when I need to take a break to do show organizational stuff like this. But, you know, hey, I'm also professional, so I'm monologuing through all this, so... So, uh, let's, let's see. So he'll be on to, to discuss the, uh, love's cultural violence. And, uh, he's a, he's a great guy as well. By the way, I, I do want to take this, uh, opportunity, I suppose, as long as we're doing commercials. Uh, I might as well do a, do some shameless self-promotion my uh cell myself um if you like this show uh and you would like to support the show uh financially well first uh the biggest way you can support the show is by giving me a uh like and uh subscribing and sharing this uh, YouTube video with everyone else you know, and of course you can also uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, uh, but if you are also inclined to uh, financially support the show, you can become a uh, patron of the Whitfield Report as well by uh by joining the Patreon page and for as little as one dollar a month you can uh help support the show and there are different uh tiers that you can uh where you can uh Basically, sign up to become a patron. The the first uh, tier is for obviously one dollar a month, and uh, you'll be able to get bonus uh, uh, content. Then uh, then for five dollars a month, you can you'll get a public shout out and a write up on my blog and. Uh, then you can also, then for $10, you can uh, hang out with me on a Google Hangout once per month. And uh, we have we have 11 spots, 11, 11 spots still open for that. Uh, for $15 a month, if you have a business, you can advertise. Uh, for, 20, for $20 a month, you can become a, an executive producer. 
Uh, so, and then, uh, as Odd, as Wadwick points out, for $50, for $50 a month, <laughs> Sam, uh, Sam will, uh, Sam will spoon with you weekly. Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure if that became part of the deal, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are some people who would, who, who would sign up, up for, up for that. I wonder what I wonder what people would do for a hundred. I wonder what people would. I wonder what I would have to offer, uh, for a hundred dollars a month for some people. But uh, anywho, um, oh. but uh, anywho, that's um, you know how Patreon is laid out. So uh, you know. Please go to, uh, please go to patreon.com forward slash Whitfield and, uh, you know, sign up for one of these four levels. And, uh, you know, if, if you feel generous, you can, uh, you know, custom pledge me as well without selecting a reward as well. So, uh, there's that. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, let's, uh, let me introduce my guest. Uh, well, first, we have to get him on, uh, the show. But as I mentioned, um, Adam Hill will be, uh, joining me. He's one of my co-editors here at American Watchmen. And, uh, he and I will be, will be, uh, chatting about uh, culture Marxism and the left's propension for violence. So, um, okay, I just, I just accepted his invite, so let's see if Oh, okay. Alrighty then. Uh, okay, let's see how this goes. I'm ringing him. We're doing the... Hey, Adam. How's it going? Good. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the Whitfield Report, my friend. You're uh, you're live on air right now. Hold on. Let me get these. Let me get some lights on here. Sure, sure thing. Sure thing, my friend. It kind of sucks living in a hotel room. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll well we'll give you a uh, chance to uh, introduce yourself to the audience and uh, whatnot. Oh, also, I, I probably should, uh, you know, set up my app so they can actually see your, uh, you know, so they can, so that they can see your, uh, camera, too. Alrighty. So, alright. So, ladies and gentlemen, joining me here for the next hour is, uh, 
my co-editor and co-host of the American Watchmen Roundtable podcast, Mr. Adam Hill. And uh, Adam, how are you doing? Doing tonight. Doing great. Thanks for having me on your podcast. Oh, no problem. So, uh, Adam, we were supposed to be hosting the uh, American Watchmen Roundtable podcast, and two of our hosts uh, decided to, you know, cancel on us to- tonight because of uh, other events, and it it was your uh, turn to host the program. Yeah. Tonight. So, <laughs> th- you know, that, that just kind of figures that they cancel on the night when... When you were, uh, you know, bound to host, uh, first off, uh, you know, I, I know you, uh, pretty well, but just for the audience, do you want to give a little bit of background and, you know, yourself and how you got started in, in politics and all that jazz? I can definitely do that. So, uh, my name's Adam. I'm, uh, Based out of Colorado, I'm a big-time constitutional conservative, a big Rand Paul fan. Uh, I'd say my issues that I'm most passionate about are those involving the Second Amendment and free speech. Um, I've always been a conservative my whole life, but I never really got into it hardcore until uh, Obama won the 2008 election. That kind of catapulted me into it, and then um, I got even more involved after he won again in 2012. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, Adam and I kind of, it's funny because out of all the board, uh, members of American Watchmen, all, out of all the editors, I think Adam and I are probably, uh, most similar in terms of I'm a Second Amendment guy and, uh, you know, I'm a free speech guy, guy as well. So I think Adam and I have that in common, you know, the most. So, I know that I know that the other guys are, uh, you know, Josh is more into foreign policy and Gabe is into economics and, uh, you know, Supreme Court stuff and all of that. But but a lot of that sometimes tends to go over my head. I'm more of a of a free speech guy myself. But uh, anyway, uh, Adam, so you wanted to talk about uh, violence uh, that among the left and, uh you know. I, I I have to say I'm excited to have you on because this is one of my favorite to- topics. So uh, you know, <laughs> so I'm I'm done ranting about you know this topic and I was talking about why millennials are so liberal by default. That was my topic earlier tonight. But uh, you know we're shifting gears. So what stories do you have for us about you know violent lefty leftists? Well, of course this. This happened a few weeks ago. I'm sure everybody knows about uh, Mad Max, uh, Maxine Waters, basically uh, basically advocating for violence against Trump officials and conservatives in a in a very passionate speech she gave. Um, that was completely appalling to actually see a politician advocating for violence against her own constituents, basically, who are the American people. Um. Of course, the most recent the most recent story was these two uh, teenage teenage boys at a at a Whataburger, and a guy came up and basically ripped one of their Make America Great Again hats off, and uh, threw threw his entire drink in their face and walked off with their hat. I mean, this is 
this is basically what the left has become. I'm sure we've all seen this, especially since Trump got elected on, on Inauguration Day. This is a while back. I mean, they were literally throwing firebombs in the streets, destroying businesses, blocking highways, and randomly assaulting conservatives. I mean, this is this is what the left has become. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, you know, and Maxine Waters, uh, you know, She's feeding the she's feeding the fire for for all this. Well, I mean, I I'm sure I, I think I may have shared this story, story with you that I found a few weeks ago. But uh, I don't know if you if you're into stand up comedy at all. But uh, there's this uh, conservative slash libertarian comedian named Nick DiPaolo who uh, I'm a big fan of. And uh, Nick a few weeks ago was in a comedy club and he got assaulted by uh, by a feminist. Who uh, basically basically went up to him, and I guess her dad was saying what a big fan he was of uh, Nick. But then I guess he said his daughter want he said uh, my daughter wants to punch you in the face. And right as soon as he said face, the daughter uh, punched him and gave him uh, gave him like a pretty big you know black eye. So that was a bit of a news story as well. But um. You know, Adam, I guess, why do you think the left is so violent, violent these days? Um, you know, what, well, I mean, what makes these people the, tick? The left has been violent since the civil rights movement in the 1960s that, they, that their entire party voted against. I mean, like, that, that's what they do, especially, well, they, they weren't as bad as now the modern day Democratic Party that we're seeing that... That basically Obama gave rise to. I would say, I'd probably say Clinton was the last was the last classic Democrat president that we had. When Obama got elected, that started the modern liberal movement, and who now believes that they have the right to suppress any kind of speech that they disagree with, and they have a, and especially since Trump got elected, they feel they have a right to actually physically assault those who disagree with them that's that's just i mean it 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 baffles me and i just i don't understand why they're doing it but it's kind of ironic that people who are calling the right fascists are the very fascists themselves i mean if you look at if you look at fascism, it's all about it's all about suppressing ideas and attacking those that you disagree with. I mean, look look what the Nazis did. The Nazis tore down statues and stuff they didn't like. Oh. They burned they burned artwork. They burned books. They attacked college campuses, just like the left is doing nowadays. So yeah, yeah. But by the way, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing. One of our uh... One of our listeners in the in the chat room, Gabe, he's a he's a humorous guy. He said, uh, "Clinton was the only black president was the only black president today." So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's I, a, yeah, I can agree with that. I, I I've I've heard I've heard that line before rega- regarding Bill Clinton, and uh, so, uh, but um, yeah, I mean it. I think. I think a lot of this stuff started, uh, you know, before Trump Trump got elected. In fact, I, I think a lot of this, you know, 
I think a lot of this leftist riding with the whole Black Lives Matter movement and the Occupy movement back in 2012, I think a lot of that it is partially responsible for why Trump got elected, uh, you know, president as well. In my in my opinion, I think Obama's, I think one of Obama's biggest failure, and there are many, but I think one of, I think at the very least what he could have done as president and he didn't do was to say, hey guys, knock it off, stop rioting, you know, and he, he, he didn't do, he didn't do any of, of that, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't try to dissuade, you know, uh, these Occupy Wall Street movement people from, you know, burning and looting Portland in 2012, or, you know, riding in New, in New York City, you know, he kind of, instigated it more than anything else so uh, so your your thought do what uh, oh i i was going to ask uh your thoughts sorry we we, we kind of had like a all I was saying is, I think I think Obama kind of uh, instigated this, or not really instigated it, but let this happen by not calling out his supporters who were doing who were doing this. Yeah, I mean, oh, and that's the thing. Obama gave voice to all these movements. He, Obama, did nothing to unite the American people. Nothing. Yeah, and uh, one of our other uh, audience members just commented, uh, the left needs this type of unrest. They, they normally thrive in it, you know, which is, which is true, too. Um, you know, I, I would certainly like to believe that there are still liberals out there who are uh, open to civil conversation, and, uh, you know, open to civilized debate. I think, uh, Dave Rubin is a prime, is a prime example of that. But, but for the most part, there are, I think there are more Maxine Waters than there are, like, Dave Rubens out there. So. Oh, for sure. No doubt about that. So, um, you know. One of the one of the other topics I was discussing tonight, and maybe you can kind of weigh on this. Uh, you know, over over the past couple of weeks, I've gotten a lot of questions from older millennials. Uh, from I'm sorry, from uh, baby boomers, from baby boomer conservatives, asking why uh, millennials are so liberal. And I think it has a lot to do with the education system, and just the just the fact that the left has infiltrated the mainstream media uh, as to why millennials are so liberal. But what, what are kind of your thoughts on, on that as an older millennial, I guess? Yeah, I think it has everything to do with education. I mean, you, you're teaching these kids that every single person is special. Every, everybody is a winner. You don't, you don't have to. You don't have to work hard in life to get anything. Everything's just gonna come to you, and like, it's even like even from like kindergarten and elementary school on up. 
it's just let's see what I was going to say it's basically indoctrination it, it, it gets a mindset into them that you know that, that everybody's equal everybody's a winner and I mean that's, that's far from the truth and it teaches kids uh, these days that they no longer have to take responsibility for their own actions I mean you see you see videos of kids like I saw this one video of this kid screaming and kicking and screaming in a grocery store and the mom was just ignoring it, and the cashier went up and gave the kid a sucker, and the kid finally stopped crying. But I'm like, it's it's basically it's we've gotten into that kind of a cultural shift that that bad behavior is actually being rewarded now. And it's it, it's now in in parenting circles nowadays, it is now actually considered wrong to correct your child when they misbehave. You're supposed to reward them when they do good, but you're not supposed to correct them when they do wrong. Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've read that. And the, the, the weird thing is, is I, I've, I've heard, you know, that, that's, that's the same theory. I, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever owned a dog before, but, uh, you know, that's what you're supposed to do when you're training dogs. You're supposed to pre- you're supposed to raise a dog for, you know, for having good behavior, uh, but then you're supposed to just ignore bad behavior and not, you know, correct it at all. So it's it's weird to me that, um, you know, it's weird, but it's also not surprising that, you know, now, I guess we're now using the same method, you know, for training dogs that we are for raising kids now, I guess, that... That 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 weirds me out. That weirds me out, out a bit. So, um, yeah. So um, also, I think uh, I don't know you, but in terms of dating, I think you know feminism has really ruined you know dating for millennials and and whatnot too. You. Uh, what? Oh, go ahead. I definitely agree, and it's it's something interesting that I found out. They did a study, and they say that women who are more feminist, like is like more of the hardcore modern feminist, are actually statistically more likely to experience depression than women who aren't, because because modern day feminism is all about denying everything that makes them feminine. You know, you see them. You know the whole those movements where they they don't they don't use feminine hygiene products anymore, and they don't shave anymore, and they don't feel like they have to do wear makeup or anything. So basically, it's like the modern day feminist movement is basically removing everything about a woman that makes her feminine. It's trying to make women into it's trying to turn women into men. Yeah, it's it's real. It's really. Really, it's really, really bizarre. Well, not not only that, but I mean, I don't know if I don't know if you saw this video a few months ago. I think I sent it to you, but uh, I guess uh, info I saw in Infowars uh, that uh, the the latest feminist uh, ploy is to try and get uh, NFL cheerleaders removed from the NF NFL because cheerleading is now demeaning. So, according to the feminists, despite the fact that most NFL cheerleaders make like two hundred dollars, you know, per special event, and they get they get paid like you know ten dollars an hour at the games too. 
you know, which isn't, and that's just for a rookie season too, so that's not, that's not bad, and, uh, you know, and a lot of them go on to have, like, professional, professional dance careers too, but hey, the feminists say it's, uh, you know, sexist, so, what do we know? So. Oh, of course, a lot of those women, like, a lot of those women actually enjoy it. I mean, they, they enjoy cheerleading. I mean, it's what they, I mean, they got themselves in shape and they practiced and they did something that they wanted to do. Yeah, so it's it's just, uh, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just complete, completely ridiculous. I, I, I really, I'm, I, I really should read you some of these comments, but then I'm, but then I'm kind of, but then I'm kind of afraid, afraid to as well just because my audience, uh, well, like me, they have a di- they have a dirty sense of humor too, so, somewhat. So, uh, oh, but uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, Ludwig uh, said uh, in in the chat, he said, uh, "Modern day uh, modern dating is." is a bummer. In my day, we just raved. And that's, uh, obviously, folks, that's, uh, just sorry. That's just sarcasm. But yeah. Well, well, that's, that's the, uh, you know, that's the big stereotype of, uh, you know, patriarch and the whole, uh, you know, I guess, males of fe- to female dating experience. I mean, the, the thing that really drives me crazy is the left is now pulling out of these statistics like that, you know, four out of five women on college campuses are going to get raped now. And it's like, no, that's not the, you know, that that's not the case at all. I mean, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure you went, you went to Regent Uni- University, right? I did, yes. How, how, how many, how many rapes how many rapes per per day were, you know, did you see on like cam- campus? Oh, tons! It was happening everywhere, like every every street corner, every no. Um, I think when I was, I think the three years I was there, there were maybe six or seven reported sexual assaults in the three years that I was there. Yeah. So, so that's like, you know, that's like maybe. One and a half, two per, two per year. So about yeah, so about two to two and a half per year. And at that school, there are about uh, there's about there are about twenty or thirty thousand students. So basically, and let's just say half of them were female. So that's that brings it down to ten to fifteen thousand. So each year, only two out of fifteen thousand women were sexually assaulted. That doesn't sound like four out of five to me. Yeah. Again, these these stats are being made up. The uh, the other thing that drives me crazy, and this kind of goes back to the whole free speech thing, on on college campus, is uh, you know, there more and more of these uh, college campuses. It seems uh, they're they're so focused on diversity now, and getting their diversity quotas filled, that that they're uh, you know they're foregoing. Uh, you know, high school grades and, you know, extracurricular activities and transcripts and all that just to, you know, fulfill quotas now, which uh, is 
which really drives me crazy. On uh, campus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, also, so me, like, oh, no, sorry, no, no, what, what, what were you saying? Diversity, like people don't understand. Like, I mean, I, I know us conservatives do, but liberals don't understand how ridiculously racist diversity quotas are. You're basically forcing a college to accept certain students strictly because of their race. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's ridiculous. Well, I mean, and it's not even it's not even so much race anymore. It's it's more of you, you know you have to ideologically ag agree with us, you know, and uh, and whatnot. So you're also a big. Uh, I know I know you're also a big uh, Second Amendment guy. Uh, oh yeah. Too, as you mentioned, so. Uh, what do you make of David Hogg and this, uh, you know, current attempt to to grab the guns? So, oh, David Hogg is irrelevant. He's a little whiny little high school kid who thinks he knows everything but doesn't. Yeah, he, he is. He is pretty, pretty relevant. I mean, so uh, let me ask you this: Do you think? Uh, do you think the left is like trying to stage all of these? Uh, you know, events in order to, uh, you know, try and take away this thing at moment, or, or what are your thoughts on a lot of that? I don't think they're necessarily staged. Um, but I do think that, that the left definitely capitalizes. Like, like the thing... The thing with the left, with so basically to push gun control, to be able to push gun control and get people to believe it, you need tragedies. So I would say the left actually dances on top of the babies, of, of the top of the bodies of dead children, to push their gun control laws. Because without dead kids, there's no there's no reason for them to push gun control. They use kids to try to strike at the emotional core of, of American citizens. And, you know, they, I'm sure everybody's heard there, well, if this measure or that measure could just save the life of one child, we should do it. And they, they use children to push their cause. And without dead children, they have no cause to push. Yeah. Yeah. We hear, we hear that narrative uh, all the time and it's ridiculous. Now you're, I know you're a, I know you're somewhat of a gun owner yourself. I won't. I won't ask for uh, specifics. But one thing that keeps, uh, you know, one thing that I keep getting confronted with is, oh well, there's you know that there's the gun owner gun show uh, loopholes. Um, now, you know, as as far as these uh, current gun laws, as far as what the current gun laws are, can you kind of. Uh, explain you know what those are and why these quote unquote loopholes are ridiculous what do you mean by loopholes uh well well like the left keeps bringing up like this gun show loophole that you know people can just walk into gun shows and you know oh the loophole yeah so actually uh this is actually kind of relevant because uh, I'm in San Diego right now on bit for a business trip 
and there is a big, uh, there's a huge, massive gun show this weekend. And you know, of course, liberals are they're 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 walking around the gun show with with uh, with signs and picketing and yelling and all that the, the normal stuff that liberals do when they want to try to get their way, try to bully people. So what the gun show actually did this weekend, they invited any anti-gun person in the area to come into the gun show. And if they can find any loophole or any illegality in that gun show, that the gun show will donate $10,000 to the charity of that person's choice. However, if that, if that, if that anti-gun person does takes them up on the challenge and does not find anything illegal or any loophole, they have to agree to sit in a, uh, in a one day gun safety class to learn about guns from that, like from people who run that gun show. Ah, uh, I, that's great. I, I find that, uh, fasc- fascinating. So, and, uh, you know, j- just, to, just to clarify, Adam, where Adam works in, I, you work in IT, right? You're not, you're not part of the gun show. Uh, no, no, I, I work IT, but I'm also in the I'm also in the military reserve. So, I ah, ah yes, you are so and. But 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 I will have to say, um, because I kind of have to. I, I do not speak on behalf of the military. I just am a member of the military. So. Right. Uh, no, I, I I get that. Well, still, thank thank you for for your service. That is, that is one thing I do kind of want to touch on real quick. Not specifically with your, with uh, your service, but I mean, do you think? Uh, I mean, do you think we're going to be having a big conflict in 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 the Middle East um, sooner? Can you not speak? Speaking of that, I don't see it happening. So. Just that's just my that's my personal educated opinion. I don't see us having some massive conflict, but what I do see is I do see maybe not a full on civil war, but I see the potential for a conflict here in the U.S. Because here's because here's the thing. This is going to go back to. I'm kind of I'm kind of going to circle back to the liberal violence if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please, please do. So a couple, another couple stories. I'm sure everybody in the everybody in the conservative circle knows who Michelle Malkin is. Yes. So she was actually eating breakfast or brunch at IHOP with her four year old daughter. This group of liberals came in and saw her. They went up to her. They started screaming at her and cursing at her while her daughter was eating breakfast right next to her. And Michelle said that they got so close to her that, they, that she could feel their breath on her neck. And they were literally screaming and shouting in her ear. There was another instance where I forgot what state it was. There was a state attorney general who is a conservative who was who was basically at went out to a movie with her husband and there were liberals who gathered around her started shouting at her and screaming and a couple of the male protesters were uh, were pushing and shoving her husband to try to get her husband to respond uh, with force back luckily he did because he has like conservatives we have a good head on our shoulders so we're not we're not crazy like the liberals are but 
So luckily nothing happened, and they actually waited for her. So she went and saw the movie. When she got out of the movie, they were waiting in the parking lot for her and continued to shout insults and curse at her. So this is kind of a segue here, and I think eventually if the liberals keep it up like this, that one day they are going to mess with the wrong conservative and it's going to start something. Because, you know, nobody's perfect. And while I would never advocate violence against another person willingly, unless it was in self-defense of my, my property, myself, or my family, or loved ones, everybody has their breaking point. One of these days, conservatives are going to say, the hell with this, we've had enough. Well, well, I think, uh, you know, I, you're not the first person to, uh, to say that. I mean, I certainly hope a civil war isn't imminent, but I don't, you know, I mean, you just don't, you just don't know these, these days. Um, and what's, what's really, what's really frightening to me is now with, uh, society being so urbanized, I think, um, you know, um, which side would local governments be on, and which side would the would the police force be on? I mean, it could get really, uh, you know, it could get really sticky here. You know, if, if I, I I do know I do know the majority of the military will be uh, will be on the conservative side. I mean, granted, the last the last five to ten years there have been more liberals joining the military, but I think overall. If anything ever happened, the majority of the military would side with the right. Because as because as a service member, our oath is to we swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. And so if the Constitution becomes under fire and if something ever happened, I think the military would they would go by their oath. How how okay, so how do you think uh, an act so this is the one thing I've always been curious about since people started bringing, the, bringing the, this up. People keep saying that there is going to be, to be a civil war. And I can kind of see that happening. And uh, by the way, the attorney general, I'm being told, uh, was Pam Bondi here in Florida. So. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I, I didn't know her name. That's good. Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I should have known that since uh, it happened here in my state. Uh, although I I am I am a Colorado native just like Adam is so but by the way go Broncos uh, hopefully hopefully go they Broncos hopefully they don't have a sucky season like uh, last year although I I didn't watch because of the of the flag kneeling thing but um anyway no uh, I but I am curious uh, how do you think a a civil war would actually play out. Um, here, here in America, do you think do you think it would last very long? I don't think it would last very long, honestly. I think if one did start, I think the president would. In, I think the president would declare martial law, and and any police or military uh, loyal to that commander in chief would would obey that and start going around and instituting that martial law. But I think. If something did spark out, there would be a lot of bloodshed in the first twenty-four to forty-eight hours. So, 
my my big I guess my my biggest concern with uh with a with this would not only be the bloodshed, but um you know depending on who's in power, I would be con I would be concerned. Like I I hope I hope if I'm not now again, folks. I I want to preface this by saying I hope a civil war doesn't break out. I want to preface this statement by just saying that. Yep. But if 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 a civil war did break out, I would hope it would break out under uh, under Trump. Well, we're uh, you know while he's still in office because if uh, you know if it were to break out under a liberal president, well then. I've joked on this show before, although you know I, there is an element of truth. I, Adam, I'm pretty sure that I'm on like a I'm on a database somewhere, and that you're on a, da- a database, and that Josh is. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that there's like a whole database of you know known conservatives that like the government needs to look into. Uh, well, they know. they'd probably. They'd probably go if if it was a liberal president. They'd probably go after veterans first, because the vast majority of military veterans are conservative, and most of them are gun owners. So I think I think military veterans would be the first group they would target. So yeah, I mean I mean that that is that is my big concern is you know hey let's you know like I said I don't want anything to you know happen but. You know, if if the left were to start something and then you know a conservative were to respond, you know, depending on on who's president, you know, it could great. Whoever is president could could you know could could wind up determining you know which side gets persecuted. Um, yeah. In this, you know, scenario, and so you know, like I said, I would certainly hope that you know. I think Trump is actually more fair than people give him give him credit for when it comes to, you know, matters of domestic, uh, you know, civility. I don't think I I actually don't think he would persecute the entire left, but I do think that the entire left would persecute us if they had their president in power. So, yeah. i.e., Hillary Clinton. So, it uh. You know, like I said, that is definitely a scary uh, proposition. So, yeah, I hope I hope that never happens. So, so uh, now and I just I just see this I just see this violence with the left escalating, especially once we uh, especially once we actually confirm Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. Ah, uh, that that is that is something I wanted to uh, you know talk. Talk about. I was I was hoping we could bring up on the American Watchmen Roundtable this week, uh, but you know since we don't have our other two panelists, I guess I'll ask you what what are your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on Kavanaugh personally? Personally, I I think I think he's a decent pick. Like he's not he's not who I would have picked, but he's a good pick. I'm happy with it. Yeah, I I have to be honest. I don't know much about uh, Kavanaugh, you know, himself, to really have an an opinion. 
but I, you know, I think that, you know, Trump has has reasoning for, uh, you know, picking Kavanaugh, and I know that there are people who are uh, hesitant to like, um, you know, Kavanaugh, but there were people who were hesitant to like uh, Gorsuch as well, and yet Gorsuch oh, yeah. ended up being, you know, arguably one of the most conservative judges we've had in, in a while. So, um, you know, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, Ginsburg will retire and Trump can replace her on, on, on the Supreme Court. So, and yeah, that would give us a solid six to three majority, which would be amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, any, and what, what would even be more impressive in my book is if, uh, you know, Trump nominated another female justice to replace uh, her. I think he would. I honestly think he will. Yeah. So. But of course, the left will go absolutely crazy because they they hate all they hate all women except the women that subscribe to their ideology. Right. They'll, yeah. If Trump appoints a woman, they'll be upset because it wasn't a woman that they liked. Yeah, which that which and then they'll go they'll go violent. Well, I mean that's how a lot of this violence you know over the past few weeks started. Actually, was because of of reaction to the Kavanaugh thing. Fractor, um, or am I just reading reading into that? I, there was some violence at the at the nomination. However, let's see where, where was it. Um, so I saw a picture of this woman who was proud that, so she had all these signs, these protest signs in her house and she showed us, she showed four different signs. It had the names of four different potential justices for Trump and it said stop and then whoever the person's name was. So they already had protest signs available for whoever Trump nominated. So that's not, so they, it's not about who it is it's all about trump as long as trump is nominating them they oppose whoever that is like trump could appoint a liberal and they would say that they would say the judge is not liberal enough so well well that that, that would that would certainly be the be the case um you know and and the thing that amazes me is trump is pretty liberal on like a lot of social issues and yet you know the left thinks he's literally Hitler, and uh, yeah. you know that that going back to free speech and, and leftist violence, that is another thing that concerns me, and this kind of ties into the whole uh, civil war thing too. You know, all these all these leftists like to say that you know Trump is literally Hitler, or my or Milo Yiannopoulos is literally Hitler, or you know. And well, you know, someone said I supported, you know, Hitler's ideals, ideals, which was, you know, ridiculous. Um, but you know, the one thing that I can see happening is, I think one, I think one day there could be a potential for someone with, um, you know, Hitler-like traits to take power, and uh, you know, and. Most likely, they'll be from the left, and but they won't be shouting and you know 
you know, being loud and obnoxious on social media, they'll be very charismatic and very smooth and very charming. Oh, of course. You know, they'll be they'll be non-aggressive at, at first. So, you know, and that's that's odd if people forget what the history of, uh, you know, Nazi Germany and Adolf Hitler. Uh, you know, Hitler was certainly not Trump, you know, who can be, you know, loud and obnoxious and sometimes obscene. But, you know, Hitler, yeah. for back in the day, he was he was very poised and very uh, charismatic. So, um... Uh, um any more story? I know you said you had a couple of stories uh, regarding violence of the West. So, uh, any? Do you have any more stories or any more events that you can think of regarding to, to that topic? Um, not that I can, not that I can think of in the moment. But I'm just, I'm waiting to see uh, further incidences coming up. So, so. Oh, I sh- oh, wait a minute. Yeah, there we go. So this happened at a. There's some kind of festival or something. By the way, for for all of us conservatives here in San Diego this weekend, it's a massive Pride Fest. So this there's like rainbow crap everywhere, literally oh. on every street corner. They the city even put rainbow banners on all the public transportation and all that stuff. So so you're so uh, you're so you're only having a gay old time in San Francisco then. So. San Diego. Oh, oh, San Diego. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, San Diego is is a pretty gay town in and of itself too, right? So, uh, not, not really. Though. Like San Diego, out of all the major cities in California, San Diego is actually the the least liberal out of all the major California cities. Yeah. Well, that that's not that's not saying much. Uh, by no, the, no. By the way, Adam, I, I do have I do have to ask though, um, you know, in terms of liberal politics and whatnot, how is uh how is my dear city of Denver? You know, since since I since I left, I've heard that they've declined, uh, you know, and they that they've gone more and more left. What's uh what's Denver doing right now in terms of, of politics? <laughs> Well, Denver itself, it's liberal. It's a liberal city. However, Colorado, we actually have a chance at um, turning our state red again for the governorship. So we have a governor election this year, and the, the, the idiot that was in office now, he can no longer run again because he's reached his term limit. So there will be a new governor this year. I'm just hoping that the conservative guy can win out. Who who? Who is the who is the conservative guy? Is is Cory Gardner running for anything serious or? I think he's just I think he's just Senate. Oh okay. Um, um it's uh, Walker Stapleton is the primary candidate for the Republicans. Oh yeah, I th- I I think I might have met him a while ago, a long time ago when I when I was when I was a kid. I, I, had he had he held office previously in? In uh, Colorado politics, do you re- do you remember? Uh, Walker Stapleton, I think um, he he had he he did something. I don't remember what he, it was though. He sounds he sounds familiar. 
I I know I know that so. Um, yeah. I'm I'm trying I'm trying to remember was he was he a businessman or any or anything like that I I I think he was I do know that he is a uh, Walker Stapleton he is a five he's a fifth generation Colorado resident so I'm a uh, well I'm a I'm a sixth generation native so dang more than me I'm I'm a second generation. Yeah, well, uh, you know, my my family go my family goes back a long ways, and you know, pe- people gonna understand why I wanted to leave, but uh, it was just because of, of the winters that that was that was my reason for getting out. That that and um, I I I am curious. I think we've talked about this before, but you know, um, I think now it's gone a little bit more in control, but. Uh, do you see the marijuana bubble bursting in in Denver soon? Or... The the what bubble? The 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 weed bubble. The 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 ganja bubble. The 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 Mary Jane. The marijuana bubble. Oh no! In in Colorado, the the marijuana industry is very much thriving. So. Uh, well, I've I've heard rumors that Trump is going is thinking of federalizing. Uh, medical marijuana so yep and and that's and that's a good that's a huge um like so politically i believe that marijuana should be legalized personally I'm, as do i i i don't like marijuana I, I don't i don't i don't like marijuana i'll never partake in marijuana even after the military because military i can obviously even after the military i, I just i just won't because that's it's a personal choice but i think if somebody wants to be able to use it they should and there are so many benefits like cbd oil has been known to um, treat certain illnesses, even treat like seizures and or people with tremors or Parkinson's has helped treat that. Um, the world of renewable plastics and paper, like hemp paper and hemp plastic. Hemp plastic is actually stronger than petroleum plastic, but is completely 100% biodegradable, unlike petroleum plastic. Um, and they've experimented with making with making hemp-based plastic uh, door panels for cars and have found out that some of these door panels, if manufactured correctly using hemp plastic, can actually be stronger than steel, but it's lighter than plastic, regular plastic. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it... So all the all the medical and all the research implications, I'm all about that. Yeah, as, as am I. And, you know, I... I... You know, as as my audience knows, I've 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 smoked it twice. Uh, you know, I'm I I think it's a little I think it's a little overrated, rated personally. Although I although I, ha- I haven't I haven't smoked with uh, you know any of any of the listeners here, and I I do I do know I have a couple of pot smokers here in the audience, and I'm, I'm sure that they would all. Say, uh, well, you you haven't smoked with me yet, but uh, you know, I, I I do think that there are some, that there certainly are benefits. I think uh, you know, I think what's interesting is if Trump does decide to fred, to federally legalize it, I think that there are a lot of people who smoke it because you know it's edgy and it it's against the man, 
kind of, and so yeah. once it gets legalized, that incentive will kind of uh, be taken away, which, uh, you know, that will that will be interesting. But, um, but I, I mean, I guess that's kind of what I'm asking in terms of marijuana. If it does become federal, federally legalized, do you think Colorado would lose that, you know, that kind of boom that they've had due to marijuana, or do you think it would just continue to grow? I think... I think initially Colorado will lose the boom. However, once it becomes legal nationwide, I think everything. The mar- I'm a big free market person, and I believe the free market will level itself out. Yeah, I. Well, I mean, it's it's only. I'm ho- I'm hoping that the cost of living will go will go down will go down in Denver for for sure. Um, One can only hope. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I have I have looked at moving back and uh, once or twice, and I uh, you know with the with the cost of living, of course, you know, may, of course, once Hick Hick and Looper gets out of office, and you know, once uh, once the conservative is back in office, hopefully that will help things too. But um, you know. Uh, but, uh, real quick on, on the non-political front, I, I just read a head, a headline recently, uh, Kathleen Kennedy is, is out as the, uh, head of Lucasfilm. Yes, she is. And I'm very, I am very happy with that. So, yeah, I know, I know, I know you're a big Star Wars fan. Um, so, you know, kind of. Just switching topics in, into the non-political uh, venue, uh, you know. What what do you think of the new Star Wars Star Wars movies, and uh, you know, what are you hoping for the future now that Kathleen Kennedy is out? Um, I'm I'm very optimistic about J.J. Abrams' take on Episode Nine. I think it's honestly, I think it has the potential to be the best Star Wars movie yet. Yeah, well, yeah, well, that's not that's not a saying much since uh, you know since Last Jedi was such a bomb. So. Well, I, I liked I loved the Last Jedi. Really? Oh like, yeah, I, mean, I, I liked it. There, there were some things there. I had some criticisms about it, like how they wrote Rose's character and how they made Holdo into this fe- this purple-haired feminist, whatever. And then, of course, uh, Princess Leia flying through space, and then the whole the whole casino scene. I think they could have done away with the entire casino scene. Yeah, I think so too. I will. I will say this. I I didn't hate it like a lot of people did, but. I can certainly see where people have gripes um, with it. Uh, I now did now did you see Solo the uh, the Solo film? The what? Did you see the uh, did you see the Han Solo film? I loved it. Yeah, I I I actually I actually loved it as as well. I I I do think that the saving grace with that movie was. Uh, Definitely the fact that Ron Howard took the took things over. So um yeah, Right, he's he's a good director. Yeah, it'll be uh it'll be interesting once JJ is back at the helm and um and 
you know, I, I hear that they're making they're making a Kenobi movie too, so uh I'm looking forward to that, so Oh for sure. Uh, this is, this is, this is, this is a good comment, though. My, uh, one one of the listeners says, in episode nine, Ray Ray wakes up to discover that seven and eight were, were horrible, and goes back to redo seven and eight, so. (laughs) So, I mean, I mean, look, I, I think... I mean, I mean, do the new Star do the new Star Wars movie have problems? Yes, <laughs> but uh, you know, are are they are they Jar Jar Binks uh, bad? No. So. Well, Rose is Rose is almost as bad as Jar Jar. <laughs> uh. And the thing is, the thing I don't get about Rose is. They made her compa- her character so plain and and non compelling. Like if you look at the actress, like the actress that plays Rose versus Rose's character, they look completely different. Yeah, and I think they, they did that on purpose. I think because I mean she because Rose in the movie she looks she has that look of a social justice warrior. Yeah. So um, and her and her and the actress is far from that. Right, yeah. I I saw that. Um I mean I I mean I don't know I mean some people have argued that, you know, C three PO is is a pretty plain character, but but you know, C three PO and R two D two were both kind of like the comedy or relief, you know, for for the first three movies, so um. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, Ludwig in the chat just said uh, seven at best was a seven at best was a remake war. So uh, it was a remake of four, but I mean they did they did introduce some new elements. Like in Star Wars, they've never done a thing. Where a stormtrooper broke away and became his own person. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They. they yeah. They've never. They've never done that. I kind of. Uh, me personally, I. I felt like uh, the potential for the Captain Phasma character was. Uh, you know, they had so much potential to just really develop that character, and they missed out on it. So. Yeah. Yeah, that, that that's that's my other that's my other big complaint was, uh, you know, they kind of introduced uh, her character in seven. We were hoping to get you know you know more details about her in eight, and nothing happened. In fact, she was killed off, you know, at in the end scene, and you know now I, I guess we're not going to hear anything about her. Same thing with that. Same thing with Snow. And yes, uh, unless Jay Jay Abrams comes up with like a plot where he's somehow not dead, but uh, you know it it is what it is. So yeah. All right, Adam. Well, we're uh, 
We're near the uh, we're near ten o'clock and near the end of the show. Uh, do you have anything that you want to uh, promote, real real quick? Where where can we find you on Twitter? Are you uh, are you on social media? Where where can we um, find where can we find I'm, you? I'm definitely on social media. You can find me on Twitter at aj hill underscore two a. So and uh, and are are you on Instagram too? Um, I am. Let me look at my Instagram so I can tell you guys my handle here. I don't have it off the top of my head. Oh, it's the same one. So Instagram is also AJ Hill underscore two A. Alrighty. Yeah, and uh, you know, and so check that, check those out. And uh, Adam also contributes to uh, the American Watchmen Roundtable podcast, which uh, usually would would air. Uh, we Saturday nights at nine Eastern, except uh, you know we did an, we did an extended show tonight. Um, but anyway, uh, Adam, I want to thank you for having for coming on the show, and uh, you know we'll I know that we'll talk uh, you know soon here, probably within the ne- in the next few days or so. So yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on, and. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thank you for uh, tuning into the Whitfield Report. I want to thank you all for, uh, you know, participating in the program. And if you like the show, please uh, give us a thumbs up on YouTube and share the video with uh, people. And as always, you can download the audio podcast version of this later on. And if you want to support the show, you can uh, subscribe on Patreon. And uh, please have a good night. God bless and God save this great nation. And I'll be back next week, ladies and gentlemen. Good night and God bless.